This episode of the Supply Chain Brain Podcast is supported by Open Sky Group, a global specialist in implementation and upgrading of the Blue Yonder warehouse management system. Be sure and stick around after the discussion for a look at the company and what it offers to customers. But now, on to the podcast. Why do we have a labor shortage in the warehouse? And what can we do to address it? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain. And this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. It's no secret that there's currently a significant shortfall of labor throughout the country. But the problem is especially acute in warehousing and distribution, which is said to be half a million jobs short of what's required now and another half a million in the next three to five years. So how did we get here and what can be done about the problem? We get answers today from Dave Haley, Senior Supply Chain Advisor with Open Sky Group. He'll describe the situation as it exists in warehousing, what caused it, and what are some possible solutions. Automation is an obvious answer, but not the entire one. And if not implemented properly, it could just make things worse. Here's my conversation with Dave Haley. Dave Haley, welcome to the show. Hey, Bob. Great to be here. Appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Dave, why do we have a labor shortage? There's a lot of reasons for these things, but I I just want to start out. I read kind of a startling statistic in uh, Modern Materials Handling last week, and they did a survey. You know, all those surveys are all over the place. And they said one-third of the supply chain leaderships that they interviewed are reporting that they felt well prepared to handle the volume with their current staffing. So that's kind of alarming that only a third of their respondents felt that they were prepared to handle the business they have with the staff they had today. And when I look at it, it, everything boils down to supply and demand. And I think the the demand's been exacerbated by a few things, and I I think they're pretty well known. The growth of e-commerce, it certainly had been a growing area before the pandemic. And The pandemic really aggravated it. And when you go from a traditional distribution model where you're moving case quantities or preferable uh, pallet quantities to retailer's warehouse, that's a different distribution model than when you have to have a bunch of people picking individual orders, either going direct to consumer or going to a business. It really increases the demand for labor. And then I would layer on top of that the need for speedy delivery, and that's driving warehousing mini warehouses, remote warehouses, and it's increasing the amount of those, and therefore you need more people in those operations. So you're losing the density and the efficiencies that you would get in traditional warehousing as you spread that labor out. And this is one that's kind of new, and I think it's really interesting, and we'll see how it pans out. But studies are finding, and I think this is more manufacturing-based, but it spills over into distribution as well, Bob, that the early adapters of technology, robotics, automation, whatever it happens to be, as they learned about it, they picked up efficiency. And by picking up that efficiency, they became more competitive, 
and they increased the demand for their products. And in doing that, they needed to add labor in because they didn't automate every manual process, just a handful of them. And so that's mm -hmm. also driving the demand for additional labor. So one of the scary things is, oh, we're going to lose all our jobs. Turns out that's not really what we're seeing across the board. Certainly there's initial impact, but as they learn to use these tools, the need for labor is looking like it may actually increase. And then the other wow. side of that equation is always the supply. Last fall, I read that Bloomberg said we're about 7 million workers short, I think it was, that had not returned to the workforce from the pre-pandemic days that might have narrowed a little bit over the last few months, but not significantly. But inside that, we have older workers. People have just retired. They've looked at their financial status and realized they didn't have to go back to work, or at least not go back to full-time jobs. There's 3 million women missing. Uh, will they return? Mm. Who's to say? Did they find out that they could balance their home life with their financial needs? It's hard to ignore the government benefits. When, when you're talking to low-end wage workers, people making $10, $15 an hour, the government benefits in some states really make it less compelling to go back to work. And then another one is gig work. A lot of people have found, well, I can drive two hours a day for Uber, and I could drive four hours a day for DoorDash, and I picked up this really cool online job that pays me a little bit of money, and it's a better lifestyle for me. I can work when I want. So there's a lot of factors in limiting the supply. The fact is it's a problem, and, and going by that first statistic, only a third of supply chain leadership feels comfortable that they have enough staff to meet the demand for their business. Not surprising, based on all those factors you just laid out. Have you seen any projections of when or if this short supply of labor will improve? Actually, I see the opposite, Bob, and I hate to say that, but you got to face facts. And most of the data I see shows there's about 500,000 warehouse jobs short right now. Might be a little less because we're past the peak season, but that number has been out there for a while. And then if we look forward, it's projected that another 500,000 warehouse jobs are going to be needed in the next three to five years. So that's a million people. And I'm not good at math, but I can figure that out. I don't know where they're coming from. We have an aging population. Our birth rate in this country has been declining since 2008. So I just don't see a influx of labor coming in to do all this work. And this one's a, a kind of a, an odd statistic, but I just thought I'd share it. And I hadn't heard this. There's a wealth transfer expected to go from the boomers to the millennials over the next few years. And it's estimated between 30 and $68 trillion of wealth is going to be transferred between these generations. And I hope my kids aren't waiting for anything because they're going to be left out. But how that impacts the workforce, does that impact middle management, or is it really a real thing? I just thought it was a really interesting factor. And should that really happen to any degree, is that going to impact your middle management, your leadership roles where people either don't need to work full-time or don't need to work in, in high-stress jobs? It's, uh, there's a lot of pressures out there. I hadn't heard that one. That's an interesting factor. Okay, yeah. so that's a pretty dire picture that you have painted for us. What's the solution? What can we do to ease it? I think with most problems, Bob, you, you want to attack it from multiple fronts. And I'm going to back up just a little bit, if you don't mind. A while back, I had actually written a, a short post about this. There's a study by MIT, I think it was in 2019, if I remember right. And it was looking at the trucker shortage. It wasn't really about warehousing or manufacturing labor, but the concept is, is real similar. They calculated based on the amount of drivers on the road that day, or that at that time rather, sorry, that if we could save 12 minutes per driver, there would be no driver shortage at that time in the country. 
12 and, more minutes you know, per I'm, day, you say, per day, per, per driver, per, per right. day. Right. So uh -huh. that's just 12 minutes. If, they, if we could find 12 minutes to keep those fellows on the road and those ladies on the road, it would have eliminated the driver shortage at that time. And I don't know the math, and I wouldn't uh, argue about anybody who went to MIT about math, but the concept is in there is where is the waste in what we're doing today that we can focus on and maybe not eliminate this labor crunch, but certainly drive it downward. And I'm going to give you an example. I think early, later this summer, earlier this summer, I was at a parts distributor, and they were having trouble in receiving, and, and I went back, and I spent some time back there, and I said, well, how short are you? And they came back and they reported me that there were nine people short. And I asked, well, how'd you get to that number? And they did all the right work. They said, well, our throughput needs to be this. And our current throughput is this. And if we use the hours that we have available today, we find that we need nine more people in order to meet our daily throughput commitment. Hard to argue with any of that, except they had a terrible process. They had fallen behind, so they had a lot of extra handling. They didn't have any inbound conformance, so the product came in and they had to touch it multiple times. They were still using paperwork, even though they just put a system in that should have eliminated the need for paperwork. And they were basing their need for additional labor on a very poor process. So it's not as exciting as adding robots and things, but you really need to look at where's the waste in your current process? How can you streamline what you're doing today before you make investments that may or may not pay off. Some of the things, and these are pretty traditional things to look at, but I, I think they're great reminders. If you have engineering standards, that's great. You can see where the gaps are. Most places don't, but you certainly can set a baseline just like the, the team at the parts distributed. Travel is, historically, travel time is the biggest waste in a warehouse. Pickers walking up and down aisles, going up and down stairs, driving, handling left and right, material handling equipment left and right. Focus on that. Can you reduce that? Scheduling your inbound loads, I think that's another opportunity. If the inbound team knows when the trucks are coming in, they can staff, they can have the labor there. They don't have people standing around waiting for a truck to show up, and they're not having people being requested to stay late because the truck just showed up. Develop and enforce inbound conformance rules. A lot of times, if you can hold the vendor accountable for how they stack the product, how they label the product, how they sort the product, you can really speed things up in your handling can you mobilize your workers with some low-tech devices like carts or mobile printers so they're not walking back and forth to retrieve paperwork or grab something off the printer? Your storage and replenishment strategies, tremendous waste of time. If you are replenishing things for your pickers and your pickers are standing there waiting for the replenishment, take a look at those things. If you're picking at the order level, can you pick at a batch level? Can you minimize the, the handling by doing more picks at once? And you may create another step down the road to sort those picks out, but that may be a win for you, depend on your operation, of course. Are you doing any value-added work that can be pushed back to your vendors? We used to have a lot of kidding in an operation that led, and we finally said, well, why are we doing this? Why can't you guys just do this? And we'll just handle the variation. But if we gave you a forecast, just send it in the way we're going to ship it. And then obviously you want to hold the team accountable for their productivity. That sounds simple, but I don't know how consistently that gets done. I'm not saying these are going to find a million jobs, but for every operation, as you reduce these steps, you're going to get a more accurate projection of what your real staffing needs are. And then if you want to go to automate or add other technology, you'll be in a much better position to really solve your problem than you'd be if you didn't do these things. Well, one of the major points of inefficiency you just cited was travel. 
That is something that robots promise to solve. The robots do the travel, cutting down on humans doing it. And yet you're not advocating that we just take all the people out and put in a bunch of little R2-D2s, are you? Well, no, i got to be careful here about my work for a technology company. So <laughs> <laughs> obviously not. I think we're not eliminating people. We are augmenting our labor with tools to work alongside of them. Uh, you hear the term cobots a lot. I play a lot of golf, and I, it's like a caddy for the picker. And I've seen replenishment to pick walls and a lot of things like that done with robotics. So they're a terrific solution. And I think as you go into design those type of solutions where you're adding particularly robotics, you need to make sure you're looking for those highly repetitive, highly consistent tasks in your operation. A cue goes out and actions follows. A cue goes out and action follows. Robots and technology, they handle that really, really well. Where we see issues, where I've seen issues, is where you try to put a system or a piece of technology on top of a bad process. It really probably will make it worse. It certainly won't make it better, and it definitely won't optimize it. So there's a lot of things out there, uh, warehouse management, labor management, warehouse execution systems, robotics we've mentioned, voice picking, pick-to-light systems, even more old-fashioned things like conveyors and racking augmentation. They can all make a big difference, but they all have to work on a good process. And that's where I think the focus needs to be. And clearly automation has been accepted. Clearly automation is with us and it's going to grow. I think the last estimate I saw, it's going to be a almost a $300 billion business in the next four years. That's pretty significant. I'll just share another story. I was at a uh, another distribution center here in the Atlanta area, and they just put in a three-level pick module. And, th and that's always, a, if you can do it, if you have that kind of density of, of highly repeating parts, that's a terrific strategy. But somehow they missed in their design, and it was three levels, they missed in their design how to move the totes from the third level to the second level to the first level so that when it exited, you had a complete order. So all three levels functioned independently, and then they set up a kitting process at the end to manually combine all the picks that had been generated at the different levels into a completed order. And to me, that's just a great example of, did you understand your process first before you made that investment. Again, I didn't know, were they budget constrained? Did they cut the corner and not put the carousels or whatever other convenience you might've put in to get the product moved between aisles or between levels? But it really pointed out to me that you really need to understand the process. You need to understand the flow and you need to design it so that you'd be able to free up those resources to work on other constrained areas instead of having people do something that could have been easily designed out of the process. But even when you make the decision to implement technology, there are a lot of systems that you just talked about. That puts a lot of stress on an organization to employ all those innovations at once. How do you navigate that stress? That's a terrific point. A lot of these great ideas have failed because they didn't have a, a change management program around it, or at least they were delayed. I think you need to understand the different concerns that the team may have, Bob. Just to go through a handful, they all relate to job security. The immediate concern is, am I going to lose my job with this change? If you have a company that has a history of a lot of starts and stops, and do people lose faith, and, and do they have a historic concern that, well, here we go again, and there's a skill concern. Am I going to be trained to handle this new technology? Will I have the skill sets needed to be successful here? 
there's always a rumor mill. Well, this is just a first step, and there'll be another step, and we'll all be out here in the end. And that's a capacity concern. Are you moving so fast that your people just can't handle one more change? And if you have an organization that just doesn't have good trust between leadership and the workforce, that can really be a gating item. And I think you just need to recognize there's a lot of emotion when you change people's work environment. It's how they feed their families. It's how they pay their bills. Uh, Hopefully they take some personal pride in what they do. So I think you need to get out in front of it. Can you create a buzz about the change? Can you get people excited about where we're going and where we've been and and where these new benefits are going to be for all of us? Can you find those informal leaders? They're not necessarily supervisors, they're not necessarily managers, but the informal leaders. And can you get them as advocates for this change to talk it up on the floor? And this is no time to stay in the office and do PowerPoint charts and, uh, and put post-its on the wall. Be on the floor, be present, be visible, be available. And have empathy, right? Listen to how the people are feeling. You're not out there to argue. You're out there to support. You're out there to encourage. And you're out there to answer questions as best you can. And I think as you go through these things and and you have your hurdles and you cross a hurdle, stop, take a breath, celebrate, buy a pizza, give a gift card, do something. Just celebrate the win and, and make it fun. I did see uh, some of these people with the robots, so give them names, they'll personalize, they'll get the folks involved to that level. Great, simple things like that don't cost anything, and it really changes the tone and makes it positive. So Dave, tell me about Open Sky Group. Where do you guys fit in the marketplace here? What is your offering and how are you helping customers to navigate these especially difficult times? Thanks, Bob. Yeah, I'm always pleased to talk about Open Sky Group. It's a great place to work. I've been here shortly. I've been here uh, coming up on a year. Our founder, Kurt Sardison, he kept getting feedback from his customers and clients and potential clients that they knew they needed to do something different, but they weren't exactly sure what that was. So Kurt listened and he started uh, what we call the advisory services practice in Open Sky. And just to back up a little bit, OpenSky has been around for about 16 years as a reseller and implementation partner for the current branding of Blue Yonder. But I think if we've been around, we've heard JDA and we've heard Red Prairie. So they've been around in WMS solutions, TMS solutions, labor solutions, and a lot of other software-related products, but we're in the warehousing and distribution space. And Kurt built a very successful business. I think last year was the fifth time we were Blue Yonder's number one selling partner. But we saw this need out there that there was so much technology coming and people just didn't have time to manage the day-to-day and to really evaluate what's on the market, what makes sense for me, what should I avoid. And that triggered him to start advisory services. And our job is to support the evaluation of technology and to make sure the processes and the investments all align because you're going to have commitments, you're going to have return on investment, you're going to have expected improvements. And our job is really to help on that front end. And if it ends up being a technological solution, great. If we can come in and just help somebody with their processes and figure out how they can keep the investment minimum and, and still get what they need to do, that it's fine. We're not tied to any product or, or any sales structure. We're really just there to help. It's a great way to spend the day. What would you say is the biggest pain point that your customers bring to you these days? Of course, we talked about the labor shortage at the top of this conversation. Is that it or is it something else? I think it's really trying to balance the time to run your operation with the time to make it better. 
It's being able to, there's an old saying, everybody's so busy working in the business, nobody's working on the business. And, and what we're finding is that sharing best practices, understanding what's going on in the marketplace that you could bring to a client and help them navigate through their struggles, that's where we see most of our activity. We're not offering a silver bullet, stick 12 robots in here and everything will be fine. Maybe it will be. But that's not how we start. We really want to understand the business, understand what the struggles are, share our wider knowledge being out in the marketplace, not just in a particular vertical, and really see what can apply to a particular operation to get them operating at the level they want to be and grow their business and, and hopefully a sustained relationship with Open Sky Group. Dave Haley of Open Sky Group, thank you so much for giving us some insight into the current labor shortage and the possibilities, a very nuanced view as to how technology can help and telling us a little bit about Open Sky Group as well. Thanks very much for being with me today. Absolute pleasure, Bob. Great talking with you. That was my conversation with Dave Haley of Open Sky Group, talking about how to cope with a shortage of warehouse workers. We thank Open Sky Group for sponsoring this episode. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming and downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. Also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.